0: Several years ago, when I was still somewhat new to ministry, a friend of mine posted on Facebook that they would be receiving a new appointment, which is what happens this time of year. We call it appointment season. We kind of all wait to see who's going where. This was several years ago. And I had known for a while that this friend was ready for a move. And when I saw where they were moving and what they would be doing there, I confess to you that instead of being happy for my friend right away, I became envious, envious to the point of bitterness and anger. I thought to myself, this person has the same ministry experience that I do, similar gifts and similar ways of doing ministry, yet here they are getting an appointment in a great location and getting a huge raise. It's true when they say that we can become green with envy. Looking back, I certainly and am still not proud of my immediate response. Because in that moment of envy and bitterness, I lost sight of all the wonderful things going on in my own life. My own ministry journey with the people that I was serving with and loving at the time. Security, friends and family and support. In that moment, I forgot to remind myself that we all have our own path our own stories, and our own successes and failures. I can say that since that time with some age and experience, I don't find myself as envious when my colleagues receive new appointments anymore. Honestly, sometimes I breathe a sigh of relief that it's not me. (laughs) I honor and respect each one's journey as I continue to embrace my own. Out of the seven deadly sins, Envy is one of the ones I struggle with the most. For whatever reason, I've always struggled with comparing myself to someone else and envy what they have or wish I could be like them. Growing up, I envied my younger sister. She was very outgoing. She was very popular in school. She was the most popular person in the school. And she was so pretty. And I also envied all those popular girls at school and what they had. As an adult, I sometimes struggle with other's successes in work or parenting or relationships. When in reality, we should all be celebrating our successes together as a human race. And as for the church, we should all be in this together for what the church is doing to make disciples of Jesus. But I am glad to know that I am not alone in my struggle with envy. I know that many of you struggle with it. And I know that envy is simply a part of the human condition. Our text from Luke 22 is a great example of this. I love this picture. It shows kind of them fighting over their status, right? And other people are kind of like, what are they doing? Even after Jesus' countless teachings about servanthood and humility, even after he kneels before them with a basin and towel to wash feet, even as he goes forth to suffer, we still want to be number one. The story recounts the disciples arguing over who will be the greatest, even as Jesus goes forth to die. Ironically, this conversation happens Some believe around the Passover table, the Last Supper, where Jesus is bidding them farewell and warns them of a betrayer. And instead of trying to figure out what that all means, they're fighting over who is better. Even there, at that sacred table and that sacred space, envy rears its ugly head. Jesus challenges them to shift their way of thinking away from themselves and their position to one of servanthood. The greatest, says Jesus, is one who serves, one who humbles themselves, one who sets concerns of status and greatness aside for the good of another. When we let envy take over, it becomes a form of self-diminishment and diminishment of the other person. The Roman poet Ovid, in his book Metamorphosis, depicts envy as wasting away in a cave, cantankerous and sick. This certainly makes sense to me. When we are so consumed with ourselves and our position and our status in the world, everything and everyone else becomes obsolete. We forget our purpose for love and connection. I know that envy makes me forget that every person has a story and my story is just as important as the next person I have struggles but so does everyone else why not get outside of myself for a while and focus on how I might make someone's life a little easier that's one of the best cures for envy after all too often we forget that the story we tell about ourselves is not the same story that God is telling about us. We might look in the mirror and say that we are not good enough, not pretty enough, not good-looking enough, not thin enough, not young enough, not old enough, not successful enough, not worth anyone's time. We might see that we are too old, too young, too tired, too weak, too scared. We envy those who you fill in the blank. Well, there was one young woman years ago who was tired of envying others and wishing that she were different. And she decided to do something about it when she made the crazy decision to go without mirrors for an entire year. Let's take a look at her story.
1: Summer on a bride-to-be who took a drastic step to raise her self-esteem. Take a look. Meet Kirsten Grice for an entire year, we're talking 52 weeks, she removed mirrors from her daily life. That meant no checking herself out in the morning, no looking into a mirror while she applied makeup, no monitoring her reflection when she drove. I'm curious about what I look like. I I have no idea what my haircut looks like. And get this, Kirsten even refused to look at herself on that most important of days, her wedding day. I don't get that. um...
0: in the mirror, I'm a bride. I don't really have any regrets about not seeing myself on my wedding day. I think that I was able to more fully engage in the day itself. I think I looked good.
1: (laughs) And if she didn't, she had plenty of backup. I knew
0: no one was gonna let me walk down the aisle with broccoli in my teeth. (laughs) I know for now, too, husband and wife.
1: Kirsten's experiment chronicled in her new book, Mirror, Mirror, Off the Wall, is one she says aimed at saving her self-esteem. Plagued by eating disorders as a teen, Kirsten, now a size 10, says mirrors have had a tendency of driving her into a self-doubting spiral. After a year, it was the moment of truth.
0: So, I'm gonna go with the flow here.
1: Time for Kirsten to be reintroduced to a once familiar face, her own, in a mirror lined with well wishes on post-it notes from supporters. Three,
0: two, one. And you guys look great.
1: Today, a year after the experiment, Kirsten says she likes more than ever what she sees.
0: I see a happy, energetic, and passionate woman.
1: Her advice to all women, especially those who catch themselves worrying about their appearance.
0: The mirrors are never the problem. Don't worry about having the best lips on the planet. Like, Remind yourself of all the other things you have going on, and then um, the emphasis on your appearance becomes a lot more healthy and pleasurable. Great and really good advice, and and I think
1: it gives you. What can you imagine not looking at yourself in the mirror for a year? How do you like floss your teeth? I think it's (laughs) so
2: that we have to. She
1: she did it and uh, and good for her and her memoir Mirror Mirror Off the Wall How I Learned to Love My Body by Not Looking at It for a Year is out now.
0: Could you do it? (laughs) I don't know if I could. So when we perhaps rediscover that our worth is not wrapped up in someone else's success, looks, or stories, then we can fully embrace who we are and what our story is. We improve our relationships with ourselves, our friends, and with God. We are able to shift our focus. So what is the story you are telling about yourself? Is it that you are not good enough, not successful enough, or good looking enough, etc.? Well, the good news is that God has a better story to tell. One where God loves us so much that even as we continue to struggle with envy, even as we struggle to love ourselves and our own lives, even as we struggle to celebrate and rejoice in the successes of others, That God still takes us into his arms and breathes upon us a story of sacrificial love and truth. And in that, a challenge to focus outward more instead of inward. Jesus Christ shows us through the cross and resurrection that we are good enough. If that's not enough reason to set aside our envy of others, then I don't know what is. Amen.
2: In case you missed last week's introduction on the seven deadly sins, let me reiterate a few key points before we zero in on the sin of envy. We said last week that the seven deadly sins are deadly not so much because of their severity, but because they're so common to the human experience. If we don't take notice of them, they run the danger of taking the place of God in our life who should be everything. To us, Now, there are seven, because mainly seven is such a biblical number, right? Everywhere. But it's a little bit more than that. The church fathers believe that these seven sins served as kind of categories in which all other sins derive from. They, all sins in some form or another seem to originate with these seven in their opinion. And we shared last week that the first listing of these seven deadly sins were given by a rarely just a barely known church father by the name of Evagrius. He took a group of monks out into the Egyptian desert with the hopes of creating an ideal community seeking to get as close to God as possible. And what they found is in spite of those intentional efforts these seven still seemed to rear their ugly head. What's intriguing to me is that these monks out in the desert who wear the same uniform or eating the same food, sleep in the same kind of beds and are considered equally for God in every way would still find the sin of envy to be a problem. Well, when I thought about the sin of envy, I, I must confess that I first thought, what am I going to talk about? I don't think I struggled that much, at least in this point in my life, with envy. Maybe I did much more previously, but now, you know, I kind of got what I need. I'm not a materialistic person. I raised four kids on one income in my first marriage. I don't feel like I need a lot to be happy, and I don't have any problem with other people having more than me. I'm quite okay with that. And gosh, I've got so much to be thankful for. If you know my wife, you know I married up, right? (laughs) And I've got four kids who are gainfully employed. That's something to celebrate. I live in a wonderful community of Noblesville. This is a great place to live. I, I pastor a church that's got a talented church staff, full of faithful people trying to make a difference in this world. What would I have to be envious of? Do you kind of have that attitude when you come to this sin of envy? I mean, I know a lot of you have already accomplished your life goals. If you saved well or you got a good pension, you have what you need, probably a little bit more left over to have some fun. So you're probably thinking the same thing. What what do I really have to be envious about? But here's the thing about envy it's more than just about economics. That human instinct to distinguish ourselves from others is very much alive in many of us. When I thought about these monks all living in that same environment, I couldn't help but bring back to my memory of going to annual conference every year where you're rubbing elbows with pastors. And what Pastor Jill described in her sermon is so real Because, I mean, pastors are supposed to be called by God. We do this for God, right? We don't do that for anything else, right? But let me tell you, pastors can be some of the most competitive people you will ever meet. You go to annual conference and everybody asks those superficial questions like, "Yeah, how's it going? And it's always going great. Every pastor's got a list of all these new ministry initiatives that they've done. We all seem to have to put our best light forward. We have a hard time being vulnerable and sometimes even honest with who we really are. And what Pastor Jill described is so real. It seemed like especially, at least when I was younger, you're always looking to see who's going where. and, And where's that next great church for me? So pastors struggle with envy too. It's, it's so much more than what we tend to think about with economics. So, so let me bring this maybe a little closer to home for you. Okay, how many of you are a New England Patriots football fan? Anybody at home? I <laughs> no, right? Now, now let me ask you this question: Did any of you, when you're watching the Super Bowl, transfer any of that hatred? with Tom Brady when he became the quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, i got to confess, I had a hard time rooting for Tampa Bay, even though Kansas City had already won it the previous year. And you see, that's the sin of envy, right? We're tired of them beating up on our beloved Colts. I've often told people that when it comes to basketball, that I'm an ecumenical fan. Of course, I love my Indiana University sports, but I also tell people I have no problem rooting for Purdue or Butler whenever they're not playing IU, right? That's true most of the time, but i got to confess, when my team is not doing well, it's a little harder to be thankful or root for, especially Purdue. <laughs> Do you realize that IU has not beaten Purdue since the year 2016. Yeah, I knew knew you'd know that. (laughs) And and those of you at home on Facebook, you can shout out in the comment section if you want. That's the challenge, and that's envy. See, envy is a little bit different from jealousy. Jealousy is trying to protect what you already have and own. But envy is when you don't want to see someone else have the success that you desire for yourself. It's not wanting them to have what you don't get to have. It's about bringing them down to your level. Envy is the desire to tear down another because of what they have and you don't. It's a desire to bring them down to the point that if you can't have it, then they can't have it either. And that's envy. But let me tell you, envy is a lot more serious than just what I'm sharing as examples from the sports world. Envy has the power to destroy relationships. It can create toxic work environments. Envy has sometimes even caused war. Envy is something that can be so toxic for us. Have you heard the story of the two shopkeepers? Kind of a classic story. You see, there were two business owners that had their businesses right across the street from one another. And boy, they were bitter rivals. And they measured themselves not so much from the bottom line of their own profits, but they're always watching to see the customers that went into the store across the street. They measured themselves by how they're doing against their competitor. Well, one day an angel appeared to one of the shopkeepers and said to him, you can have whatever you want, but whatever you wish for, I will grant twice as much to that competitor you have across the street. If you want to be rich, I will make you rich. But remember, he will be twice as rich across the street. I will make you healthy and live a long life, but he will be twice as healthy and live even longer than you. And so that shop owner stopped and he thought about it. And he said, here is my request. Make me blind in one eye. That is the problem with envy, is it not? So how do you know if envy has infiltrated your spirit? I imagine it's different for each of us, but I know that in myself, I begin to recognize envy when I find myself talking negatively about somebody else, especially behind their back. I find myself being envious when I resort to what we like to call passive-aggressive behavior, when you... Use sarcasm or maybe offer a backhanded compliment. I notice that I'm envious when I'm in the presence of someone who's been successful in their life and I seem to want to boast about my own accomplishments. I know that I'm envious when I can't bring myself to compliment somebody even though their achievement is certainly worthy of being recognized. But here is the most difficult thing about envy. It's the most harmful thing. When you're envious of another person inappropriately, it has the power to blind you from the blessings and accomplishments of your own life. All God asks of you is to be the best person God has created you to be. All God asks of you is to be the best version of yourself that you can be. I know so many people that no matter what you say to them, they cannot take a compliment. They cannot receive it because they have their eyes on someone else instead of God. But here's the wonderful thing about envy. It's got a very obvious cure. That cure is love. It's talked about in this 13th chapter, 1 Corinthians, that we call the love chapter. There, Paul is dealing with a church that had a huge problem with envy. They're always squabbling over everything. They're squabbling over whose teacher they're going to follow. The teaching of Apollos, the teaching of Paul or some other person that came along. They're fighting over who's the most spiritual. So much to the point that Paul had to give them this image of the body of Christ and that each part is indispensable. Even the weaker parts, God honors. And then he gives them these key words. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. Paul's advice to the church in Corinth it's to love, to be so filled with the love of Christ that it just pushes out that envy, it pushes out the hostility, it pushes out the competition and the jealousy. Because you're secure in what Christ has done for you, it doesn't matter what God has given to anyone else. And so my advice to you today is to practice that love. It's one thing to say you have it, but it's another thing to actually live it out and make it happen in concrete ways. That's the best way to push that sin of envy out of your life. So take time to write notes to people that have done something wonderful in your life. See how many compliments you can give out in a day to the people that you run into. Ask God to give you spiritual eyes for those that are having a rough day and just need to be lifted up a little bit and embed in your hearts and in your minds that love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. Let's pray. Lord, whether we recognize it or not, we probably all struggle one way or another in small or great ways with this sin of envy. Help us begin to see what it can lead to and how it can poison our lives and make toxic the relationships that we're in. If we're experiencing that in any of your relationships, we lift that relationship up to you right now and ask that you help us do what we can to make that relationship to be healed and to be better, knowing the rest that we cannot control, that we leave up to you. And for all this, we're so very thankful. We're thankful for your love that makes the possibility of redemption in every way within us, especially with this sin of envy. Amen.